Well, good morning. We are going to be in uh, the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 10 this morning. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or find Mark chapter 10 on your mobile device or just prepare to kind of uh, follow along with us as we read the verses on the screen in a few minutes, feel free uh, to do that. This morning, we're going to be talking about kingdom-focused service in the church. That's something that God has created you for. And if you've been redeemed, if you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, this is what you're called to, among other things. And I hope to, to clear up a distortion that I think we live with when it comes to understanding this uh, in the life of the local church. It, it's funny how distorted things are sometimes when you're a child and you become an adult and then go back and see or look at things. I remember going back about 10 or 12 years into the elementary school where I went to elementary school that seemed so large at the time, right? And I walked in and it just seemed so tiny. All the rooms seemed little, the halls were little, the bathrooms were tiny. The cafeteria that seemed huge was so small. It just seemed big to me at the time. This last week, Friday, I guess, this last Friday, day before yesterday, um, Sharon and I and Jake and Julie were over um, spending the evening at John and Tori's house. And Kermit had done a little research on brisket, particularly Texas brisket. And he had, he had prepared one just so for us and delivered it. And John had taken that and, and cooked it, smoked it. And so we were going to eat that, and it was so good. It was like biting in a moist glory, and we ate until our bellies were full. We had a lot of fun. Sometimes we play games, and we just stay there until the kids begin to melt down. Usually we leave with a twin over one shoulder, dragging another one, screaming, no, no, no. We go out, we get in the car, and we go back home. But uh, Ella, Julie, and, uh, and Jake's daughter was there, and she, they already had her PJ'd up, so she was ready, right? So she had these lemon PJs on, and I said, hey, Ella, I love your lemon PJs. I said, do you have some that I could wear? And she said, no, because they'd have to be huge, <laughs> huge to fit you. And so I remember thinking, I hope that's a childlike distortion that, uh, I mean, I know, and I, and I confess to our LM Institute class Wednesday that the dryer has been shrinking my shirt since we moved, but... Um, but I hope that was one of those distortions uh, that kids sometimes have. Before we jump into John chapter 10, I do want to say just uh, by way of a, a word of announcement, we have opened a second LM Institute uh, gospel story class uh, that will meet uh, begin this evening on Sundays from 5 to 6.30 in addition to the Wednesday night one. Now, I'll say this, I know uh, there are a small number of you in the Wednesday night one which is pretty full uh, who really had a hard time choosing uh, between choir and LM Institute or whatever. So if you want to make that move to the Sunday night one, that's totally fine. Um, they'll close at the end of this week. Actually, a week from tonight, they'll both be closed for the rest of the semester. So you don't get to jump around like whichever week's most convenient, but you can pick whichever one of those you want to go to. And if you weren't able to do Wednesday night, but you wanted to, and you can make the Sunday, uh, you can go to our website and through a uh, various clicks um, it's all over there you can click on the Wednesday night image that's there you can click on what's happening 
and find the LM Institute information. You can go into resources and find it. So I just wanted to let you know about that. All right, let's look at a passage in Mark chapter 10 and allow it to, to begin correcting a, a distortion that we live with and that we actually believe this morning. We're going to pick up reading in verse 35, but I'll say just prior to this, Jesus has for the third time explained to his closest disciples that they're on their way to Jerusalem for this Passover season so that in accordance with the will of the Father, he might be handed over, crucified for the sins of humanity, and he'll be raised to new life on the third day, but the disciples just don't hear it. Let's pick up in verse 35 of John chapter or Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read all the way through um, verse 45. So I'll read 35 to 45, and then we'll come back and work through Mark chapter 10, 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I want to throw something out here and just let it settle on you. If you're a Christian, service is not optional. If you're a Christian, service and ministry in the local church is not optional. This is what we've been told. This is how we're treated. This is the distortion that we live with. And it goes back a long way, and it goes back actually to how most of us were trained a decade or two or three or four or five or six ago to share our faith with someone else. But if you are a biblically faithful person, this shouldn't shock you. If you're a Christian, service is not an option. It's not an option. Let's look back at verse 35 and work through this a little bit. You're going to see uh, what you already saw was a request, an answer, and then a moment of instruction. A question or a request, an answer, and a moment of instruction. Let's look at this. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in 
their day, instead of having a last name, you were typically known like this, sons of whomever. And if there were several Zebedees, it would read something like this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the stonemason, or whatever. It was a way of identifying James and John, the apostles. They come to Jesus and they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, don't you appreciate their honesty? Right, instead of beating around the bush, instead of taking Jesus out to lunch, and saying, you know, Jesus, I like some of what you say. I appreciate how you've done this and how you've done that. They just come straight up to him and say, hey, we want you to do whatever we ask. You can appreciate their honesty and their boldness. And he said, well, what do you want me, what do you want me to do? And they said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, what they don't miss is that at Jesus' time of glory, to his right and to his left were other people being crucified. They don't know what they're asking for. Jesus knows where he's going. But they refuse to hear Jesus speak about what the way of Christ is really about. Instead, it seems like they hear it as some kind of metaphorical picture. Like, oh, we know you're coming into your kingdom. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow those in power. It's going to be tough for a little while. And then three days later, metaphorically, however long in God's will, um, you know, we're going to rule and reign together. It's going to be glorious. We're going to be in power. And anytime you see a ruler, a reigner, a celebrity, they've always got a little circle that have ascended with them. They always have some people to their right and to their left, and they're just they're accepting whatever ounce of power or glory or authority they can get by proximity, by being close to them. And he tells them in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking for. Any of you ever asked God for some things that he just said no to, and you look back, at, back now with a whole lot of gratitude? That God said, no, I'm going to withhold that thing. You've heard me say before, and you'll hear me say time and time again, that if you could see as God sees, you would answer as he answers. If you had his character and holiness. Verse 38 continues, Can you drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And, and any time we see this phrase, the cup. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout Hebrew history, this was used to describe the cup of God's judgment or His wrath coming duly on His people for their sins. You see it in Psalm 75, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 49, Ezekiel 23, on and on we could go. And it's amazing that in their, in their thirst for their own elevation, they're still missing it. Jesus knows that he's on the way to Jerusalem to drink the cup of his father's wrath because there's penalty due for sin. They still don't get it. The baptism that Jesus experiences with the father's recognition that this is his son in whom he's well pleased and we see language reaching back from the servant song, song of Isaiah that Jesus uses throughout his ministry to describe him as the one to whom all the scriptures had been pointing, the suffering servant of God. But they still don't get it. They still think it's about them. They still think it's about 
elevation. They're wanting prestige. And Jesus is calling them to humility. To humility. Richard Foster, one of the great writers on spiritual formation of our time, says this, True service, true service ministers simply and faithfully because there is a need. It knows that the feeling to serve can often be a hindrance to true service. What Foster is saying there is that when we serve because we, we have the, the feeling of the need to serve or a desire to serve, again, it is making it about us. Rather than simply serving because there's a need and experiencing what God does in you as you and I do that. Farsa goes on to say, more than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. More than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. Of all the classical spiritual disciplines, Foster says, service is the most conducive to the growth of humility. Can I tell you, if we had more humility in our churches, we'd have far less conflict? If we had more humility in our churches, we'd have far more packed ministries. If we had more humility in our churches, we'd have a world far more thirsty for what they see going on in the life of men and women who claim to be followers of Jesus. But instead, throughout our time, most of us as American Christians in the church, in our culture and world, we have experienced affluence and comfort that leads to apathy and arrogance, not humility. And it results in an entitled people who believe the local church we belong to is just another place that is required to provide products and services to us rather than being theologically and biblically formed enough to know that we are the church if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and we exist for God's glory and for his kingdom purposes on earth. They're wanting the right and the left. They're wanting places of prestige and prominence and Jesus is calling them to servanthood and humility. We can, we can drink the cup, they say. A lot of confidence, right? We can drink your cup. We can be baptized with your baptism. In a sense, they're saying, Jesus, you just don't know how good we are. How lucky you may be to have us on your team. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup. You will drink the cup. Jesus knows what's coming down the road for James and John. And you'll be baptized with my baptism. But to sit, he begins now to, to answer their request. But to sit at my right or left, that's not for me to grant. He says, these places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. He, in a sense, is saying, my sovereign father has already preordained who's going to be on my right and my left. Now, look at verse 41. Because when the ten hear this, it's as if somebody else has already called shotgun. And they wanted to ride in the front. Right? We got three kids between 12 and 16. Shotgun is a big deal. It wears you out. Any parents have kids that age? You remember? Sometimes you just want to get in the car and let them brawl it out. 
or just drive off and say, you'll find your way home or you want. Right? The ten hear this and they become indignant with James and John. Who do you suckers think you are? You think you've been following any longer than we have? You know Peter had to be indignant. Dudes, I walked on the water for three or four seconds. You think you're going to be on the right and the left? And then Jesus says, I guess we need to have a little talk. He calls them together and provides a moment of instruction. And listen to what he says. He says, you know know those that rule and reign in the world? They do it in a certain kind of way. They hold it over people. They like the prestige and the prominence. They hunger and thirst for it. They work to climb the ladder to be number one. But among us, that's not the way. That's not who we are. Look at verse 44, verses 44 and 45. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Sometimes English translators will try to water that word slave down and make it servant, but it's flat out slave here. I don't think we believe this, church. I don't think we believe that the first are actually those that are last, that the greatest are those that are least, that those who want to be great, even great by the standards of the kingdom, or first must be slave or servant to all. We don't just settle for second. We understand theologically it's our place. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself, reaching back to suffering servant kind of language in the Old Testament. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Does that not stir your heart? That the Son of God himself would say, I didn't come to be served by you. I came to serve you. And I'll just say this morning, guys, we, the servants, are not above our master. He came to serve, and his life, death, resurrection, and the empowering flood of the Holy Spirit coming into our life creates Christ-centered servants who give themselves to kingdom-focused service and ministry in the local church and do so joyfully and gladly. The church doesn't need, in a sense, well, I'm going to hold off on that. I'm going to hold off on that. Let's, uh, Let's look at how this has worked out a little bit in the New Testament. Turn back, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I want to show you what Paul does with this and what Peter does with this and remind you that Peter was present when Jesus was saying what Mark records in Mark chapter 10. But listen to Paul addressing the church in Galatia, the region of Galatia that had all kinds of fractures going on right then. And the book of Galatians is not really about Christian freedom as much as it is about Christian unity what it means to be in, and how we understand one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
This is a, this is a, a theme that is running throughout chapter 5 and a theme of the book. You're free in Christ. You don't live under law, but under grace. But, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. To indulge the desires of the fractured, sinful human heart. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And if you look at the the context of the paragraph here where Paul's writing and he uses this word flesh, he's really talking about not indulging in this context the the, the bent or the the tendency toward uh, contention and disunity and conflict. And part of what Paul is saying here is that service, true Christ-centered kingdom-focused service, feeds unity in a church. Because if you're giving yourself fully to the ministry of Christ, you're too busy to fight with people all the time. You're just too busy. Service feeds unity. Service is part of how the world looks at the church and the way that we relate to one another. Taking a back seat voluntarily, loving, laying our lives down, sacrificing, sacrificing our time, our finances for the glory of God, the movement of the kingdom of God. And says, I don't know what's happening there. I don't understand this, but I don't see anywhere else like this. And I'm curious. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said that when the Spirit of Jesus the Messiah comes to dwell in Christians... Individually and corporately, this happens so that they can be all together that place where his genuinely human life actually and physically continues within the life of the present world. Put simply, right, is saying when you and I are laying our lives down for the glory of God and the good of one another, filled by the Spirit of God, there, there, Christ actually and physically continues his ministry on earth through his people. But we struggle to get it just like Jesus' disciples did. Of that passage in Mark, N.T. Wright says this, In Jesus' day, you don't have this up on the screen, In Jesus' day, as so many in our day do, those around him were trying to figure out, now listen to this, We're trying to figure out how to tell and live the story of Jesus without the cross in the middle of it. In Jesus' day, as so many in our day are trying to do, those around him were seeking to tell and to live the story of Jesus without the cross in the middle of it. Without sacrifice, without death, to self. This is part of what's wrong with the mid-20th century teaching that most of us got about how you share your faith. You take a few Bible verses and you tell someone they're a sinner and say, would you want to go to heaven or hell? That's not a hard question. But I'll tell you, in our day, it's not a question most people are asking. It's just not the questions they're living with all day. They're asking why the world is so jacked up and who has an answer for it. And because we don't know the fullness of the gospel... We just know a a minuscule portion of the transactional stuff we were taught. We have no answer for them. Because we don't understand that God's goal is is not to take some people who uh, express faith in Jesus, forgive them, and get them from here to somewhere else, but through a redeemed and forgiven people to be bringing 
the kingdom and the glory of God to earth as he rescues, redeems, and in the end makes new all things. He is not just the answer for individual sin, depravity, and death. He's the answer to all that's wrong in the world. But even if they want that and say yes, Jesus didn't say as you're going, make converts to heaven. He said as you're going, make disciples. Be about helping men and women understand that to follow me means to lay down an old way of life which includes pursuing their own elevation, grandeur, and prominence. Now let's skip over to 1 Peter. Skip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Now part of the beauty of, of Peter's letter here is it's one of a number of just called general epistles floating about the churches in the New Testament world, written to all of us for things that we are struggling with. Look at verse 10 of chapter 4. Each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This, man, this verse has to be a supplementary verse this morning, but it's yearning for me to preach it in its fullness. It is pregnant with power for us. And I just want to make a, a couple of comments here. It is significant that Peter says, each of you, because on almost all of the exhortations, the encouragement, the promises we find in the New Testament are plural. They are to us as we do this as we live into this there are things that we are called to do together as the people of God and Peter gets very specific and he says each one of you who claims to be a Christian like if you're in here this morning and you're listening and you're not sure man I'm so glad that you're here you're off the hook on this so you're getting to kind of listen to what it actually means to give your life to Christ is the price high absolutely is it worth it? So much more than you could ever imagine. But Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received. Don't miss that. Peter is saying that in coming to faith in Christ, as God renews your heart, he gives you certain gifts that you did not have before. We see this spelled out in the teachings of Paul, that the Holy Spirit gifts men and women sovereignly as the Spirit determines so with all kinds of kingdom-centered gifts for the glory of God and the empowerment of the church so that we're built up together into the image of Christ, that we together have the power to be, as a local church, what God has called us to be. But we're just using gifts that we've received, right? God's given them to you to be used. And to, they're given to you to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. That's a powerful thought that as a follower of Christ, you are a steward of God's grace. And a steward doesn't decide what to do with what he or she has. A steward does what the owner wants. A steward does what the master wishes. And Peter says that this grace that God has given each of us has various forms 
all kinds of different gifts. We see a number of those listed in the New Testament. If you're a Christian, service is not an option. So I just want to say this this morning. In the end, the church doesn't need more volunteers. The church needs more servants. Volunteers kind of do it or not do it, right? Volunteers puts the onus on the person saying yes or no, but God is saying, you've already said yes. This is what it means to follow me. And I'll tell you, part of, the, part of what's interesting as churches are relaunching and restarting and, and coming back to all, not returning, I think we're all realizing that there's no return to before COVID. For any church, for any school, for any business, there is relaunching, redreaming, moving forward now, asking each day, God, what have you and what are you teaching us with what we have been through and are still going through? But part of the, the beauty of, of our church is that we, we don't have any limitations of space here. Well, we do. Everyone has limitations of space. But I'll say this. We're not limited by space. We're limited by servants right now. Prior to COVID, roughly 43, 45% of, of active church members served on a weekly basis in their, in their churches. Right now, it's somewhere between 20 and 25%. Same, same with us. We have considered it optional, and it absolutely, simply is not. Now, some of you will have health issues. Don't hear me saying things I'm not saying that limit your ability to come and serve in faithful ways. Some of you may have an issue here or there, and there's certainly a season, right, where you know that there's so much happening in your life, emotionally, mentally, physically, that it's all you can do to get here. And it is an act of service to come and to participate in worship, some kind of small group venue. So I'm not talking about that. But for the rest of us, the I'm really busy thing is so lame. We're all busy. We give ourselves to what we value. That's it. It's that simple. We give ourselves to what we value. We could easily, if God grants us that grace, be ministering to and loving on a thousand people a weekend here across two to three services. We have the space for that. We just don't have the servants. We don't have enough of God's people engaging God's ministry to be able to adequately welcome, receive, and assimilate people into what God's doing. We've got a, a small portion, like a lot of churches, that are serving their hearts out. But I just, I want, and this is, this is not about guilt. Guilt is the lowest motivator on earth, and it doesn't work. This is my attempt through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit to try to wake you up to the truth of the gospel and of what life is all about. 
and what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to be a member of a local church, what it means to even be around here, be a regular attender and say, I'm not a member yet. I don't know that I can serve because I've only been coming two months or two weeks. Yes, you can serve. We've got all kinds of places where you can serve at different levels of spiritual commitment. And it's a beautiful way to get to know what church and what the people of Christ are all about. I want to ask you to do this this morning. I am going to do this. Grab your connection cards. Pull them out. Men and women, husbands and wives. um, Pull them out, if you will. And I really encourage you to think about this prayerfully and individually. Serving, if you're a Christian, is not an option. And I will tell you, I absolutely believe and I have experienced across the years that part of the reason we have so many grumpy, spiritually constipated Christians in the United States is because we just sit and receive and receive and receive and receive and receive. And then we come and we receive some more. And God has not designed it to work that way. On the back of your connection card, I want to specifically encourage you to take a leap of faith. We desperately need servants in LM Kids ministry and on the welcome team. People who are willing to come in and say, train me, equip me to learn how to greet people well and welcome them well into the church, to greet, seat, direct and treat people so that we get them from the parking lot into wherever they need to be, moving ahead of them and taking on ourselves whatever is uncomfortable. And we have LM Kids servants who minister back there week in and week out. Some of them miss weeks of being in here. We have some teenagers who serve every single Sunday, sometimes both hours. And it would be very hard for us to minister to any kind of little burst of people back there because we simply don't have enough volunteers and it is absolutely because theologically we don't understand what it means to be christians we don't understand what it means to be the church and that's part of why we struggle with a loss of purpose so i want to encourage you to take your connection card and my commitment to you is this we will contact you within 24 hours of what you mark on here and we will walk with you and we will equip you and encourage you and we will not put you in somewhere to stay there until your death we will honor you taking a chance and saying i have no idea what i'm doing but i know god's spirit is telling me i got to do something i need to be involved in the ministry now if if you're saying look i don't I don't know about LM Kids and the welcome team. Those are the pushes I'm making this morning. We need, and I don't say that often. In fact, I've been trained not to say that, but I don't care. Truth is, we do need Christ followers. We need people who are even curious about Christ, but are coming and loving what God's doing here to be willing to serve. We've got a lot of opportunities in LM Kids and on the welcome team. And it's amazing what God does in you through those kiddos, through smiling and welcoming people in. But if you know, like, I, I want to serve, but those aren't for me. We've got teams throughout the week. We've got, you have programs in your seat every week that say certain things always to guess, but a half-sheet insert there that's new every single week 
so that you can know what's happening. Connection cards in there giving out because we have a weekly admin team that comes up here on Thursday mornings. And they sort everything out and they put everything back together and they come in here and they do this. And while they're doing that, they visit and they laugh and they talk. So if you're not sure, just write in that I'm interested in serving. You see that little box bottom right on the back of your connection card? Just write somewhere. Somewhere. And we will do our jobs as staff. But I'm really calling you this morning, before God, as a body, to consider serving in LM Kids or serving on the welcome team. Some of you were going to need serving with students. I'm so grateful. Those of you in here already who work with any of our next-gen people with students, with our kids, thank you so, so much for what you do. Children and teens have never faced what they face today. And it takes far more than home to handle it. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we understand that the call to Christ is synonymous with the call to kingdom-focused service and ministry in Christ's body and to get started being a part of that. Let's stand and pray.